Welcome to the Quo, a community of challengers, disruptors, and changemakers. I'm your host, Payal Patel. Join me as I dive into stories at the intersection of gender, race, and social and economic issues. This podcast series spotlights individuals from various industries, disciplines, and walks of life who are challenging the status quo through interesting and thought-provoking conversations. The quote aims to elevate the voices and stories of endeavoring change agents in hopes of empowering communities and inspiring meaningful change within our society through education, advocacy, and the power of storytelling. Are you ready? Let's get it. Hey there, Quohort. Welcome to season two of The Quo. It feels so good to be back with you sharing stories, discussing important topics, and connecting you to some of the world's most fascinating people who are challenging the status quo. I'm excited to kick off this second season during Women's History Month and on the eve of International Women's Day. It was actually this time last year in 2021 that I had announced my plans for The Quo which then came to life on Women's Equality Day in August. So here we are in kind of a full circle moment, and I just want to take a moment to share my gratitude for everyone who's been a part of this journey so far and is back with us to dive into more stories from our community of challengers, disruptors, and changemakers. The guest for this episode is going to be sharing her unique perspective on an issue that is impacting all of us in a really big way right now. But before I introduce her, Let me just share a little background on what we're getting into here. Human-induced climate change. It's causing dangerous and widespread disruption in nature and is affecting the lives of billions of people around the world. People and ecosystems least able to cope are being hit the hardest. Increased heat waves, droughts, and floods are already exceeding plants and animals' tolerance levels and thresholds, driving mass mortalities in species such as trees and corals. These weather extremes are occurring simultaneously, causing cascading impacts that are increasingly difficult to manage. They've exposed millions of people to acute food and water insecurity across the globe. So to avoid mounting loss of life, even more so, urgent, ambitious, and accelerated action is required now. And that is why the UN and its gender equality arm, UN Women, is putting this issue at the forefront and at the very heart of its 2022 International Women's Day campaign. And I personally am excited to co-chair a UN Women event here in Chicago, where I'm based this week, and is bringing together climate change activists for a critical discussion virtually. And that discussion is going to be led by my friend, Emmy Victor. Emmy is an award-winning journalist who works for the AccuWeather channel as a national weather reporter. In her role, she travels around the country covering severe weather and climate change. She's also a member of the National Association of Black Journalists. And like I said earlier, she's joining us at UN Women Chicago to moderate what I know will be a very informative panel discussion on climate change and sustainability. So with that, it is my pleasure to welcome Emmy to the Quo. Hey there. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I am great. Thank you for having me on this wonderful day. 
Oh, thank you for being here. It's uh, really going to be so great to get such a unique perspective on this because you're really on the ground seeing a lot of this on a day-to-day -day basis. You you see what's happening. And I think that the perspective you're going to bring to this particular issue is just going to be so, so critical. And so before we get into the nuances of climate change, I do want to begin by making sure everyone knows your personal story. I I know that you and I met through your work at AccuWeather. Um, you were doing a weather story. I was working at Navy Pier and we got together and did a, a story during the summer. Um, and it was so wonderful to connect with you then. And then since then, I know you and I have stayed in touch and um, uh, it's been amazing to see your work and unfold. And I know you travel a lot. We talk about that. You're all over the country, you know, covering so many of these different stories. So. I want to start off by asking you, how did you get into weather reporting? What was that journey like? I know you served as a journalist for a little while now, covering various beats in the past. So what led you to making weather and climate change your area of focus? Yeah, um, thank you so much, Pyle, for having me again. I'm so thrilled to be able to talk with you all um, a bit about um, severe weather and climate change and, and what the future holds and some of the work we all can do to sustain our planet. Um, as far as my journalism background goes, I've been reporting for about uh, eight or so years now. Um, started off in local news um, and then made uh, a more transition to weather reporting pretty recently. Um, and, and ultimately that kind of came down to uh, me thinking about some of the stories that have impacted people the most. You know, I, for many years, covered all kinds of crimes, education, politics. But whenever I'd go out into the community and start asking people, you know, about the stories I cover, the first thing I always hear is, you were the girl covering the flood. You were the girl stuck in the snowstorm. You were the girl, you know, out there in the heat that one day. So it eventually really started picking up to me that, you know, some of the most impactful stories that I've done have always been about weather. Um, so I really was thrilled when I got a chance to um, start working at AccuWeather and really have more of a focus on severe weather. Um, and then now more than ever, um, segueing a lot of those stories into climate change, some of the recent happenings in, uh, amongst our planet and, and what can be done to sustain it in the future. Yeah, I know that you had shared with um, uh, you know me and a couple of members of of UN Women Chicago offline about how people come up to you and recognize you through weather-based stories specifically. How is that translated into people's interest in in the issue of climate change? Like, I, I would think that it's safe to say that most people are aware of it being an issue, but do they really, really understand what's going on? No, that, that, that's a wonderful question. And I, I definitely will say that, you know, there's more of a broader understanding than a deeper understanding, right? You know, people are coming up to me because they they recognize the weather, they recognize that it's happening. But what they're probably not noticing is that it's happening more frequently. You know, you're seeing me more often standing in the snowstorm. You're seeing me more often standing on the severe weather, extreme heat day, you know? So, that's really kind of what what we're noticing, you know, our forecasters at AccuWeather is that these events are happening more frequently on, on a more consistent basis, and they can certainly have negative impacts if not planned for in the future. Yeah, for sure. It's really scary to see. I mean, when I see some of the coverage and then, you know, these reports come out and we're going to talk about one of the most recent reports that the UN also shared, it's, it's really, really alarming. And I just sit there sometimes and wonder, 
does everyone know about this? Does everyone know what a what you know a huge and critical moment we're currently in? So as someone whose day-to-day work entails covering all the severe weather and climate change stories, and like I said earlier, being really the boots on the ground during some of the most harrowing weather moments of our time, what are you noticing about the way our weather and climate is changing? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's going to be based on where you live. You know, here in Chicago, you know, what we're going to see are, are likely more snow, more snowstorms because we're going to have more, you know, precipitation. Um, that's something you'll really see a lot throughout the Midwest. Um, and that's going to have harmful effects because more precipitation means more snow melt that streams down into more flooding. So there's a lot of things in that area, you know, areas that already experience heat. We're talking about Miami, Phoenix. I've done several stories on both of those communities. Um, and I think one thing I've heard from from city leaders that are working to mitigate, you know, uh, heat risk is that people have a hard time taking it seriously because it's always been hot. Right. So in their mind, well, it's always been hot. So what's the big deal, you know, but even seven to eight degrees difference can make a huge difference, you know, in the way we live, the way we operate, you know, concrete being hotter, buildings being hotter, a lot of the things, materials that we're currently using um, to build, for example, you know, um, are creating these urban heat islands um, that are making communities hotter. Um, even last summer, I got an opportunity to go to Kansas City um, and and cover a heat mapping campaign where they went around the city uh, three times a day, once in the morning, once in the evening, and once in, um, one in the afternoon and evening, should I say. Um, and it was so fascinating to see that, you know, one part of the city was 17 degrees warmer than the other part of the city at six in the morning. You know, I mean, th- that that's just alarming, you know, so yeah. um, there's there's a lot to be said about, you know, extreme heat, um, more precipitation and how that's going to impact us moving forward. Um, I'm so glad to be able to start covering this. And um, I know a lot of cities are, are beginning to look at it, but, you know, there's still more work to be done. And that obviously requires this kind of more knowledge as a whole of, of climate change. Yeah, I uh, I feel like I've noticed that as well, just like living here. And that's not really great news for me because I hate the snow. And so- <laughs> I, when you say that there's going to be more snow, I'm like, okay, great. I, it's time for me to move. But then it's like, where do you move to? Because no matter where you go, that what you said before, that climate change is impacting every part in different ways. So someone who has been saying like, oh, I want to move west. I want to go to California. Well, then you got to think about the wildfires, right? And then everything that comes out there, the droughts and all that. So ev- everything is being impacted in just different ways and everything is just becoming more and more extreme. And this week, in fact, alone, um, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because here in Chicago, we are reaching the 60s and it's the first week in March, and then we go back down to 30s and it's snowing. So what do you make of that? How much, what does that speak to in terms of climate change? Yeah, I mean, you know, this, right now, I probably would say that that's more of the La Nina pattern that we're in, you know, this winter where we're going to have, you know, we're seeing kind of this more up and down. Um, So that's a little bit more of just kind of the winter pattern we're seeing. But as a whole, um, you know, I even felt this winter in particular was very, very up and down, even with the La Nina pattern, you know. So I, I definitely am also kind of curious on, you know, what that means for us, you know, yeah, uh, moving sure. forward, you know, we could see way more days of the 60s in March, right? Because we are expecting right now, I think 
if I remember correctly, I, I ran some numbers last year and, you know, typically there's only a few days that hit the hundred degree mark, you know, in the summer, particularly in July. But I remember reading and talking with a few people saying that maybe one or two of those days could turn to 10 in the near future. You know, so you're absolutely right. You know, a 60 degree day feels very rare right now, but 10 years from now, a 60 degree day in March, we may see five, six, seven, or eight of them. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, people say this is unseasonably warm, but then I, th I think about someday it's not going to be unseasonably warm anymore. It's going to be the norm. And while it sounds great to have 60 degree weather in March, we know that that's not what should happen, right? Like it's it's not the, the nature cycle for, yeah. for our climate. So that's really alarming to think about. Knowing what you know about climate change through your firsthand experiences, how has it impacted the way you approach your storytelling? Have you adapted a sense of urgency in the way you report on the news and cover your stories? Yeah, no, that's a, also a really great question. Um, I definitely, definitely feel like, you know, I've made it a mission to do as many stories on climate change as possible um, and then making them relevant to the news of the day. You know, could that could be anything from, um, different conferences that are going on around the country. I look at different seasons. For example, Miami is going to be the first uh, city in the country to have a heat season. They're declaring it from May to October. It's going to be this year, you know, so I'm always looking at different months of the year and how it may impact anything it can impact. Um, I've also digged deeply into different sectors of the economy, agriculture, a really big one, visited North Dakota, Wisconsin, did a couple stories on, on climate change there, um, lots of different industries being impacted um, every day. Um, so I, I definitely try to relate it and tell people, you know, why does it matter soon, but also why is it mattering right now? I think that's also just as important to know. Yeah, for sure. What story for you was that moment when you were in the trenches in the midst of it and you're going, whoa, okay, this is getting serious. Is there, has there been a moment for you as a reporter when you're there and you're like, okay, this is getting real guys? Yeah. I mean, there hasn't been like a crazy moment that I've been out to see yet, you know, which is good. You know, um, I do know there's a couple stories that have really had me think, you know, um, I know in Arizona and Phoenix, um, they are working, um, to create more bus shelters, you know? And that really had me thinking, I'm like, okay, bus shelters, what do you mean by that? And they're like, oh, well, so many of our bus shelters are out in the elements, it's just a sign. You don't, they don't actually have seating or covering. And I'm like, that's so fascinating because now they're basically, you know, saying that if they don't start having these coverings, people could just fall, you know, sick, you know, get, they're more, uh, more likely to get heat related illnesses and injuries is being out there in this extreme heat in Phoenix, you know? And even when I look around sometimes in Chicago, the bus stop right across the street for me doesn't have a covering. You know, maybe that necessarily doesn't matter now because we're all used to what Chicago weather can bring, but it could be a big difference in, in 10 years from now. So, um, you know, those are just some of the things, you know, I've been kind of looking back as well as um, at the heat wave um, Chicago experienced in the 90s. Um, and, then, you know, just kind of seeing all the, the lives that were lost in that tragic, you know, summer of heat, you know, and uh, air conditioning being a really big, you know, issue with that, not people, people not having access to air conditioning um, or, or not being able to afford it. Um, so that that's some things that I, I have reported on that I, I definitely worry about, you know, are people who are more vulnerable, 
um, being included in these conversations, you know, so I've tried to dig deep into to those areas um, and, and showcase communities that are making sure that they are included in those conversations. Yeah, let's talk about that a bit. Who are those people? What are those communities? Yeah, no, also a really great question. So um, historically, um, people of color um, are more impacted by climate change. You know, there's been several reports um, out there to talk about that. You know, you can find it all over the internet. Um, people with disabilities also vulnerable. Um, you know, that, that all stems down to a couple of things. I'll start with people with disabilities, you know, so extreme weather events, more tornadoes, more hurricanes, more heat, for example, we'll, we'll stick with kind of the May through October weather. These bring more power outages, hands down. That's a big issue, big issue for people who use wheelchairs to get around, people who need accessibility, because if, if elevators are down, they can't get around, you know? Um, there needs to be someone there. You know, we're talking about hospitals, you know, hospitals obviously have the most access to generators than, than most places, you know, but when we're talking about facilities, you know, where people need care and we're seeing more power outages because of more storms, you know, more businesses are going to have to start planning for these kind of things. Um, so people who are sick, vulnerable, you know, definitely, um, you know, they, they have concern that, you know, reports have shown that there's concern for them to, you know, be part of these conversations. As, ter as far as um, black and brown communities, um, there is a number of things. Health is a big one. Um, you know, sometimes people have, you know, talked very extensively um, in, you know, recent reports I've read about uh, the black community, the brown community having, you know, more heart risk and, and other, you know, illnesses that um, can also be a big problem because if, if heat, you know, is very, you know, a long issue, a big issue, um, then you'll, you'll see more heat related injuries, you'll see more people passing out, you'll see, um, you know, those sort of things. Um, and a lot of illnesses that, you know, the black and brown community tend to face um, can be really be susceptible to heat, you know, so that those are just some of the things, you know, there, there's a plethora, you know, a plethora out there. Um, obviously, um, regardless of your color, you know, people who have less money, um, people who um, are, you know, who have a, a low income, if you will, yeah. um, also, you know, having, bills are just gonna be more expensive, right? You know, you're gonna wanna cool down more, you're gonna wanna be more warm, you know? So it's just, it, it, it's tough, you know, it's a tough situation. And I think that's why it's great that so many communities are trying their best now to start planning um, for the future. Yeah, thank you so much for shedding light on that because it's not something that occurred to me. I didn't think about people with disabilities, right? I That's the privilege I have as an able-bodied person. It doesn't occur to me that I could be impacted in that way because it doesn't impact me in that way. Um, also socioeconomic background and BIPOC communities, like it, it absolutely does touch some of these communities a lot more than those who are not part of those communities, just simply because there's lack of access and lack of resources. So what can people do to help close the gap in those areas? Yeah, there, there's so, so much. Um, I, I wanna start with a group of kids that I interviewed um, last year. 
um, who are making a difference in our racing Wisconsin, you know, uh, going around cleaning up Lake Michigan, going around taking samples, you know, because there's so much change happening, as you know, across the Great Lakes. Um, and it's just so great to see people making that small difference in, in such a large way. You know, what we're seeing are, are houses disappearing off of beaches. You know, we're seeing coastal, you know, what we once saw as beaches being covered by water. And we're seeing, you know, houses, you know, literally this close to water now, you know. So um, there's a lot of studies that need to be done. I think that's one way people can help, you know, just like what I said with those kids, you know, small ways that um, organizations like the Great Lakes Alliance um, doing incredible work here in the Great Lakes to um, try to reduce, you know, the risk of climate change along the lakes. Um, so many different ways, though. I mean, you know, even when you just do a quick search on the internet, you'll see reducing carbon emissions, right? Um, you'll see reducing your own carbon footprint, using less hot water. Perfect example. You know, people who used hot water for a shower for 30 minutes a day, that's a very large amount of your carbon footprint, you know, um, just one many one of many, many examples. Eating healthier foods, you know, staying away from um, beef and that sort of thing, also reducing your carbon footprint. It's, it's crazy when you look at a chart and you think, okay, fine, I'll eat less you know, meat or whatever, but you got to think about the meat comes from a farm, it gets processed, then it goes on a truck, then it goes to somewhere else, then it ends up in the grocery store, then it ends up at your house. Think about how much gas was used from this, you know, from the very first, you know, leg of it from the farm to the trip to the, you know, manufacturer to the trip to the grocery store to your trip to the, you know, to get it to then that trip to your house. I mean, so much carbon out there, you know, so yeah. it, 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 I've thought so much about my ways of just, re, you know, trying to reduce it, my own footprint and, and, you know, there, there's a lot of different ways one can do so, but those, those are just some of the ways. So this might be a silly question, but does, does being on a more plant-based diet, then is that more um, eco-friendly to, um, you know, in terms of reducing that carbon footprint, like how, what's the difference between moving, you know, meat and stock, uh, to, from farm to, yeah. um, you know, manufacturers or, or whatever, then moving vegetables from, from those farms. A, a bit of it has to do with packaging. Okay. Um, and then processing lighter material, heavier material, um, less plastic being needed, you know, vegetables go essentially from you know, cart to cart, they're not really wrapped in anything, you know, where you have to use a lot of packaging for meat. Um, so that's, that's an example. Got it. Okay. Thanks for that. Yeah. I've always wondered, I'm like, so what is like the biggest difference there? How, do, how does, you know, reducing your, your diet when it comes to meat, you know, make a difference. And as someone who doesn't eat red meat, I'm, I'm glad that I'm at least somewhat part of the solution. Although I probably make up for it with my hot showers. So I need to probably, cut that down a little bit, but like, you yeah, know, I, I'm so, guilty of taking hot yeah. showers and I have, I have tried, I mean, I've, I've since January of this year, I have really tried to make an omission to not take as many hot showers, yeah. you know, um, it just, it, you know, I, 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 there's a lot of stats on the internet of just how much, uh, carbon dioxide is released each time you take a 20 minute shot, hot shower. So I'm trying to reduce wow. that. 
Did not know that. Yeah. Um, and it's especially hard to do in, in our, you know, Midwest winters too. Cause like <laughs> the, the one thing that gets me out in the, uh, out of bed in the morning is that like, okay, I can take a warm shower, right? Like I could take a hot shower to, to, um, you know, counter the, the cold I'm waking up to. But, um, I think we can still do that and limit it, I guess, you know, yes, yes. As possible. It's, it's all about limiting, right. You know, yeah. it, it's, it's consumption, you know, it's, it's, it's all about knowing, knowing what it does and limiting limiting your consumption simple as that you know yeah. i don't think any environmental specialist is out there saying you can't do x y and z it's just you know everything comes in doses and limits and you know yeah. it's just things to keep in mind as we we, we move forward you know everything like, in moderation as they say yep i mean the reality is our world is getting warmer you know um and it it has been helpful that you know i guess one positive of the pandemic is that a lot of people did stay home um, so traffic was less and that certainly, yeah. did help, you know, keep a more clean, you know, cleaner environment, if you will. Um, and now with people taking the hybrid approach, working a couple of days a week, if, if you can, of course, you know, I, you know, I'm one of the people who, who worked through the whole pandemic, you know, yeah. um, but for those who were able to work from home, mostly, if not fully, um, that did save, you know, save a little bit on, you know, save a little bit for the planet. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I know one of those people, I was fortunate enough to be able to work from home. And so, yeah, I did. I noticed that spending so much less on gas because I don't, I'm not traveling, you know, by car as much. Um, my mileage went down, all of that. And I was like, wow, you know, can't believe that in, in the course of this year, uh, you know, if you're ever looking for a silver lining, that's one of them for sure. Um, but it was also so great to see like life return into parts of the world. Like I saw some reports about dolphins returning to, uh, parts of, you know, bodies of water that they weren't in before because they just couldn't do to all the pollution and, and all of that. So it's, it's also extraordinary to see how the animals are, have been reacting to, you know, our, the result of the pandemic. Oh gosh. It's been, it's been such an interesting couple of years. Um, I know in Chicago, they just lifted the mass, the mass mandate. Um, I know in DC and Philly as well, you know, so it's just been so interesting trying to get back to normal. A normal. Yeah. Yeah. Along with everybody else. So what are you in your mind? What are some of the greatest challenges to achieving climate change right now? Yeah. Um, having all, a lot of voices at the table, um, having people take it seriously. Um, I think that a lot of people know it is happening, um, but may not know the different ways that they can, you know, try to make a difference. Um, yeah. or think that the issue is above them, like as if, you know, there's nothing I really can do. Or it's not my you problem, know? right? right. Like either, either it's not my problem, you know, some people probably just think that there's really nothing they think they can do, you know, or I didn't create this problem, why should I try to fix it? Yep. You know, yep. so there's a lot of different thoughts out there um and you know we're gonna get to a point now where more communities are gonna start investing money money is needed for for some of this work for example um a couple communities have now uh hired chief heat officers um hmm. jane gilbert of miami-dade county being the first one um hired last year um and a few other now cities are trying to hire chief heat officers you're going to see more of these um and they're you know their focus is to specifically make sure that people in their community know their heat risk know their extreme weather hit risk that sort of thing um but yeah i mean i, I am worried that p 
people may not know enough about how it's going to impact them um, because they're hearing that 500 or floods are happening more often, but they don't really know how much often. And we don't even really know how much often, right? We're also kind of in this learning phase. A lot of the information is still fresh and raw and kind of as it goes out, the next new piece of information comes in, you know? So um, I think one of the barriers is going to be getting getting the word out there, making sure all voices are in, um, making sure everyone understands that they're part of the conversation, whether you're a man or woman, whether you're, you know, fr from a different ethnic background or, you know, uh, you speak a different language, you know, everyone's part of the conversation here. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, having people that are designated in communities like chief heat officers, for example, are going to make a big difference, trying to make it a priority um, for programs um that can you know help people who are most at risk yeah for sure and you know i'm also seeing a lot more chief sustainability officers too mm -hmm. i feel like that's also an expanding role um a lot of companies have like added those in the recent years and it's really cool to see that that there are you know companies and brands that are really making it a concerted effort to be a part of the solution um to counter some of the the more harmful effects of other companies. And yeah. what's also wonderful to see is a lot of young activists because you can, you know, you know that they know they're inheriting this earth, right? I mean, some maybe some of the people that we were talking about earlier who are like not my problem are thinking, I won't be alive, maybe, to even see all of the implications or, you know, yeah. um, you know, and obviously not the right thinking at all, but the the young people are really stepping up in this this fight for for climate change and that's really cool to see too yeah um i i want to quickly just point out that um you you mentioned you know more companies hiring you know sustainability officers yeah. amazon just recently put a posting up for a chief heat um chief uh meteorologist uh following what happened at the amazon warehouse in, in uh illinois so oh wow you're seeing it across the board you know more, more companies need this weather forecasting more companies need these these officers um to take advantage of you know what's going to be happening so they can plan for their businesses accordingly um to that point of young people you know really being in this effort um i think it was about a month ago i did a story on um a group at the university of north carolina um, that have been, you know, studying the Outer Banks, you know, and everyone's been hearing about the Outer Banks and how, you know, houses have been disappearing and, and that sort of thing. Um, but this was a really cool project. They were um, studying these ponds that were formed um, right after Hurricane Dorian from um, Overwash. Really fascinating story, you know, and, and I think what made the story the most fascinating wasn't necessarily the ponds that were formed by the Overwash, which which is really cool, actually, because, you know, they were studying how long they're going to be there. Are they going to disappear? What's going to happen to them? Can they use this? Can they ever use this island again? You know, that sort of thing. But it was just really the passion behind the group of, of 17. You know, they were so enthusiastic about driving hours, you know, to go to this, you know, remote area in the Outer Banks to do this research, you know, um, trying to figure out the next steps and what, you know, more hurricanes can look like for North Carolina, you know, so um, we're finding that more people are certainly more interested, especially younger people, um, and, you know, more jobs are opening in these, these sectors too. So um, I think younger people are, are really going to be, you know, the future leaders in in this effort, you know, they've been hearing about it a lot longer, you know, maybe they've been hearing about it five years of their, you know, 20 year lives, you know, and that's going to carry along a lot longer than maybe someone who's hearing it, you know, 
who's been living for 80 years will only hear it for you know a certain amount of time you know so um i'm thrilled that you know younger people are, are taking this on um and educating their family members and educating their elders their loved ones educating everyone you know i'm always telling my family members everything i learn you know and how things are going to impact them so um it's great that you know younger people are not only just taking this on but they're even finding careers in this area um where they can make this kind of difference absolutely and i've also noticed that a lot of them are women and girls you know, which is also very interesting. And this is precisely why we're going to get into what um, what that means in terms of climate change and the link to gender equality um, at the UN Women Women's Leadership Forum or Women in Leadership Forum. Uh, that discussion is going to be centered on the intersection of gender equality and sustainability and climate change, because many people may not realize that there is a strong correlation between the two. And according to data shared by UN Women, achieving gender equality is the key to ensuring a sustainable future for all. So what have you noticed specifically about that that link? Yeah. Um, so I had mentioned the chief heat officer in Miami, a woman, the first three ever chief officers in the world, um, Miami, Florida, uh, Athens. Athens, Greece, and Freetown, Sierra Leone are all women. I mean, talk about how fascinating that is, you know, That's that so cool. women are truly leading this next, you know, this next phase of, of trying to protect people from, from these, you know, vulnerabilities of, of climate change. So, you know, we're definitely, I mean, I think a, a lot of the people I've interviewed for, you know, um, stories I've done have been women. Um, so it's, it's great, you know, especially because, you know, studies have shown that women are, are at risk, um, for, for, you know, some of these issues that climate change can bring. So, um, yeah, no, I, I'm seeing it. I'm, I'm absolutely seeing it. You know, um, I'm a woman reporting on climate change, you know, um, I don't know, how, I don't know if I know anyone else who's doing that, you know, so <laughs> I'm sure they are out there and I, you know, I, 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 yeah. please message me. I will credit all of you and I'd love to meet more <laughs> of you, but you know, there are there aren't many climate change reporters and climate change beats right now as, as a whole. Um, and, and there's definitely, you know, not a lot of women doing it for sure. It's a topic that not, you know, many are picking up. Um, so, you know, I, it's great. I, I think it's, it's, it's fascinating. It brings in another level to the conversation. Um, you know, and, and women just like, you know, just like men have different stages of their lives. You know, we go from being children to teens to, uh, adults, some of us go from moms to grandmas, you know, in different stages of our lives bring different challenges with climate change, you know? Um, yeah. So it, it's good that, you know, we're having different voices at the table to, you know, kind of to link that, link some of those uh, areas together. For sure. And I think this is probably also why UN Women is making such a strong appeal for gender equality around this specific issue of climate change, because if more women are leading this charge then if you get more women involved we're looking at potentially reaching a climate solution more quickly right yeah yeah i mean you know women make up a large population of this world you know yeah. um and it's not just a, a woman problem it's not just a black or brown problem it's just not just a uh you know a mom or dad or child or brother or sister problem i mean this is a problem for all of us. Yeah. It's um, an everybody problem. For everybody sure. problem. Um, and that's why it's great that, you know, women have taken this on, you know, 
um, to be the voice, you know, in, in, you know, spread the word, you know, um, and it takes so many different areas, you know, um, you need so much data, you know, so, um, so many different career sectors can really help, you know, bring information together that can really make a difference. Yeah. And I know you're going to do a great job at leading the conversation at the Women in Leadership Forum um, on behalf of UN Women uh, Chicago. And um, I'm excited to share a little bit about that. But I, as, as the moderator, I wanted to ask you, what are you most looking forward to asking the panel of women that we've assembled? Because it's a very impressive group of women. I know that you and I met them in advance of uh, this, this um, event. And they had a lot to say and a lot of knowledge and inspiration to offer. So what are you most looking forward to like getting into it with them? And what, what kind of questions do you hope to, to get out of them? Yeah, talk with them. Um, I got a chance to, you know, speak with them earlier this week, as you mentioned. And, you know, I felt like I wanted to like clip a part of our conversation offline and like, you know, say here it is, here's some of it for next week. <laughs> it, it's going to be great. You know, what I love about our panel is that there's so many different um, women doing different things in climate change, you know. Um, we have Rohini, for example, who is working for United, you know, and I mean, talk about, you know, amazing role she has as senior manager to be able to help United plan, plan for um, a more sustainable future. I mean, you know, the airline industry is huge when it comes yes. to planning for climate. I mean, they are huge, you know, and we need them, need them as part of that conversation. It's nearly impossible to have a conversation about climate change without in including the airline industry, period. You know, um, they get us where they need to go, but unfortunately, sometimes some of that causes harm to the environment. It, it yeah. is what it is. Um, we all understand that and they're planning for a better future, you know, so it's going to be great to hear from her. Um, it's going to be great to hear from Michelle, um, who's an engineer um, and has, you know, a lot of experience in the oil and gas industry and her her way of kind of sectoring into the food industry and, how, and her journey in that. It was just such a fascinating year. Um, and I, I love that, too, because I've done so many stories on agriculture and climate change. That one is huge. I mean, we can't survive if we don't eat. We just can't, you know. Um, and to be able to hear, you know, from her about, you know, some of what she does at her company is going to be really, really great, too. Um, we have Wendy, who's going to be really great. Um, Shana, who's also going to be really great. You know, um, both of them also really, you know, powerful women that have done a lot um, in this climate change sector, too. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm just so excited to hear from them about what they do in these individual industries um, and how they're trying to, to make things more sustainable for all of us. And then I also have to say I'm, I'm interested in hearing about um, some of the barriers that they've broken, you know, um, particularly being women in these in these positions um, that require a lot of data. You know, um, I, I, I remember, you know, talking offline and, and hearing stories about how a lot of the data they presented has had to be double checked or triple checked or quadruple checked because yeah. they weren't necessarily necessarily believed, you know. So it's going to be really fascinating to hear from them um, and the barriers that they've overcome to, you know, get the word out about climate change. Um, I'm excited. I, I'm thrilled to be the moderator. Um, and with my, you know, background of reporting on this beat, it's going to be great to really hear from, you know, some of the people who are doing this heavy work, this heavy lifting. Yeah, no, for sure. And 
this, since we're talking about barriers uh, and inequities, I also wanted to make it a point to ask you, what has that looked like for you in your industry also? Um, you know, you were talking earlier a little bit about you're not sure how many women are out there. I'm sure there are, like you said, but it's it's still something that we need to see more and more. So um, what what have you experienced in terms of gender-based inequities in your line of work? And what do you foresee, um, you know, in terms of the changes that need to happen in order for there to be more equity in your industry? Yeah, I mean, I'll first start with um, meteorologists, you know, um, because I, I do think having more weather forecasters of color is critical. Um, I, I know that weather people, whether women, whether men, you know, are so beloved in their communities, right? And I think that's one of the biggest ways we can start reaching people. You know, people already watch the local news, they're already watching their favorite weather weather folk, you know, um, morning and evening, you know, so they are key when it comes to getting the word out about climate change, because that's already an area that people are, are watching. And, 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 you know, you're, you're used to, we all remember the meteorologists we, we grew up watching. I do, you know, mine was Sam Champion. That's, that's my guy, you know, he, oh, yes. yeah. every morning at ABC seven <laughs> in New York city, you know, so if Sam Champion is telling me that climate change is a big deal, I'm going to listen because I know Sam doesn't lie to me. He's gotten all my weather forecasts, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So they have such a huge responsibility in this in this effort. I'm glad that AccuWeather has taken this on um, and other, you know, other companies have too. Um, so one thing I think I would, you know, definitely love to see would be companies hiring more meteorologists of color. Um, you know, to my understanding, you know, there are several organizations out there where, well, they'll have thousands of, you know, meteorologists, only maybe three or 400 in the group are of color, you know. So um, I went to Jackson State University last month and did several Black History Month pieces um, on the on the school. And in a they've been offering meteorology for about 45 years now. They've graduated about 100 black meteorologists but when you do the math that's only two a year you know and not all of them go on maybe to pursue it or if they do um not all of them necessarily on tv they're doing the background work which is also fantastic and great and we need that um some of them are going on to work for the national weather service and, and, and doing some amazing work there but i i still think you know um maybe not many people know that that's a route they can take um so i definitely think that you know in, at least in the weather sector um it'd be great to see more meteorologists of, of color as a whole um just to you know start getting the word out on, on the local level um and yeah, you know well, like you said, get, get more people involved um uh, with those different perspectives right like yeah have them become part of the conversation yeah and then even um in areas like emergency management emergency preparedness um you know it's great to have people who know the community in which they've lived and served um and you know i definitely think that those kind of departments should have people at the table that look like the community they serve you know um so i think it'd be great you know if emergency management departments can hire more people of color too um because if you've got three or four people who are you know kind of doing the planning and they're all white in a community that's maybe 30 percent black well you're not quite you know you're not quite reaching out and or make, hitting the mark in those areas so I, I think it's critical I mean there's there's so many areas in the weather sector which people can can start being in roles that can make a difference 
Absolutely. Couldn't agree with that more. And that's exactly why we're doing the work that we're doing, um, you know, for me on the UN Women's side, and then what you're doing, obviously, every day as part of your daily work. Before we wrap this up, I do want to make it a point to ask you, is there still time to make changes in order to slow down climate change? Is it still preventable? And if so, when does it become too late? Yeah, I mean, there, there's all kinds of reports, you know, all these companies have different goals to reduce, you know, the net, you know, net zero free by 2050 or whatever, you know, so there's so many different goals out there, timelines. And um, I think, I don't know if, if it's preventable at this point, but I do think it could be slowed down. You know, it's kind of like the COVID situation, you know, where it's like, you know, wearing a mask, staying distant, slowed it down the spread, you know, but unfortunately, even yeah. you know, you still can get the COVID. So, you know, um, it, it's kind of like, that's the best way I can kind of compare it, you know, is that it's still an issue just like the virus, but we all have a serious part to play to make it better, you know, if we can, so. Absolutely. That's a great way of putting it because you're right. I mean, I don't know if there, I was thinking the same thing. Like, is there something that we can do to fully prevent it? But I think we're past that, but we are reaching a very critical point. It sounds like based on the report that I just saw, which was by the intergovernmental panel on climate change and the UN just um, put that out, if not like a week or two ago. And so um, that is one resource that I know that I would encourage everyone listening um, to go check out to just learn more and educate yourselves. What other resources can people find to get some self-awareness, make informed decisions, and make adjustments to their lifestyle? Oh, gosh. There's there's so, so, so much out there. Um, I'm trying to think of there's a couple just right off the top of my mind. Um you know, there's some universities out there doing some incredible work. Um, the University of Buffalo was one, one great one. Um, they have a, a whole center devoted to um, studying extreme weather conditions. Um, so they're a great resource. They're, I've leaned on them for expertise. Um, the University of Wisconsin has a great um, limnology um, area in which they've been, you know, focus very heavily on on the waters and the impacts of climate change um, there. Um, a lot of a lot of universities, University of Iowa, another really great one I've, I've leaned on for different stories about how lakes and rivers are changing and what, you know, more ice cover means, what less ice cover means and that sort of thing. Um, so there, there's a lot of a lot of different resources out there, you know, but um, I, I love that so many, you know, different universities are tackling this on because research is critical, you know, without fact-based knowledge, you know, without it, people may not believe what's going on. So I think, you know, starting with, you know, factual sources like universities, you know, that are, you know, really putting putting the resources into the, making sure that people have the knowledge they need are, are great. Um, another organization I'd love to shout out is Climate Central. Um, they're really great. Um, and I've interviewed them several times. Um, they have fantastic, fantastic information out there, um, compiling information from the National Weather Service and just using historical data to look at what the future holds. Um, really, really, really great tool. I highly, highly recommend, uh, recommend Climate Central too. Okay, good to know. I'm gonna have to check out some of these myself. Uh, I've just become more and more curious and, and 
also wanting to to play an active role myself in in being part of the solution. And I hope that people listening to this episode right now and those who will tune in to the Women's Leadership Forum will also feel the same way. And speaking of which, we do want to encourage, if you're listening to this in time, um, International Women's Day, March 8th, Tuesday, Women in Leadership Forum presented by UN Women Chicago is being held virtually. And you can tune in from anywhere because it's a virtual format. One of the other silver linings of the pandemic, we we didn't want to do this in case it, was, it wasn't safe to do so. But um, what's great about it is that it opens it up to people all over the place. Um, and we encourage people to go check it out. It's um, the ticket information. If you're watching this on a visual platform like YouTube, it's scrolling at the bottom of the screen. But if you're tuning in through a, a streaming app and just listening in, um, you can go to unwomenusa.org forward slash Chicago forward slash events. And uh, we'll have ticket information there, um, a little more detail on our panelists who are amazing. Emmy shared a little bit about them. They're exceptional women leaders in this in this specific domain and have a lot of great insights to offer. So we're looking to, forward to continuing this conversation there. Um, and the proceeds are actually going to benefit the, um, the UN Women relief efforts in Ukraine right now, which we know is a really big issue and could use a lot of support. So you're doing a great thing by simply being present in an attendance at this event and providing some much needed support over there in Ukraine. So please check it out. And Emmy's going to lead that conversation. And we're so excited for that. So thank you for agreeing to do not just that, but for joining us today here on this podcast uh, with the Quo community. I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you for, for yours. It was such a pleasure to be able to talk with all of you about climate change. And um, I look forward to more discussions. Yes, let's keep this conversation going. Um, I really definitely want to make sure that people understand, you know, what's at stake here and and know that they can do something to slow it all down. And and let's just hope that we, we get to that um, point of mitigation before it's far, far too late. So once again, such an important topic. And I mean, thank you for all the work you do um, as, as the weather reporter, as a climate change reporter, covering all these stories, informing people. Your role is so important in making sure people are aware and know what's going on um, and also com combating a lot of the information out there. So we're so grateful for your, for your role. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. No problem. Thank you. And those tuning in, we hope to see you again soon. Uh, always good to be with you. And we're so glad to be back for season two. Let's keep going. Hey, it's me again. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, and I really hope you did, please subscribe to the show on your favorite streaming service so that you're notified when new episodes are posted. Also, be sure to follow The Quo on social media at The Quo Media across all platforms for the latest and greatest. Thanks again for joining, supporting, and uplifting the Quo community, or as I like to call it, our cohort. Catch you next time.